0: You can earn up to 0.8 advanced ASHA CEUs if you are, or you become a member of the MedSLP Collective, and the recording is also available inside of the Collective. Ready to scale your clinical skills? Go to medslpcollective.com forward slash summit to register today. This is episode 213 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I just realized I said 213.
1: For some reason, that sounds like... A ridiculous amount of podcast episodes, which I think it probably is. Can't believe we've been doing that this long, you guys. Anyways, I digress. Uh, today's guest is Megan Battles Parsons. She's an SLP with Methodist LeBon Hura Healthcare and a doctoral candidate at the University of Memphis. She has a bachelor's and master's in psychology from the University of Memphis and has graduated from the University of Memphis with her master's in speech-language pathology. She will receive her PhD in December of 2021. Megan has been working as an inpatient-outpatient SLP for the past few years, and she has recently awarded a distinguished early career professional certificate from Asha for her advocacy for individuals with swallowing and swallowing disorders. Yeah, Megan was recently named our member of the month in the Med SLP collective. And when I was, our team picks this every picks the person every month, um, just based on, you know, comments that they share or um you know wins with their patients or wins with colleagues or anything really um and when i was looking at this i was looking at everything megan had accomplished in the last few months and i was like oh my gosh this is amazing i was like we need to get her on the podcast because i i think she's she's done so much in such, such a short amount of time um and i would love for you guys to hear this because i think she's really inspirational if any of you are feeling stuck or not quite sure you know, where you want to go in your career or how just to sort of dig out of some of these holes from these systems that we've been trapped in. So anyways, hope you really enjoy this episode. I really did. It was such a joy to talk to Megan. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the Medislp Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello, Megan. Hey, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, not a problem. All right. So tell the people a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah. um, So my name is Megan Parsons. I am a speech therapist in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I've had my C's for about a year and a half, almost two years, and I um, recently um, just defended my dissertation, so I'll actually be graduating with my Ph.D. in December, Um, so super excited about that. Um, Yeah, just working in acute care. Oh, thank you. Um, Work in acute care and um, do kind of a hybrid where acute care um, and outpatient therapy with adults. All right. What was your Ph.D. in? Um, So it's in communication sciences and disorders. Um, My dissertation focused on traumatic brain injury and a lot of um, social communication deficits that follow um, a TBI.
1: All right. Awesome.
2: Awesome. Awesome. All right. So where should we start today?
1: What are we going to talk about?
2: So I um, wanted to talk a little bit about um, this whole idea of crafting a specialized dysphagia clinic, especially already in an established outpatient facility. Um, so I started my C's or my CF year um, during COVID and ended up very quickly being the only therapist at my hospital. Um, you know, one moved away, one got married. And so I found myself kind of on um, an uncharted territory. Luckily, I had a wonderful CF at a sister hospital, but I was, you know, day to day was by myself at this hospital. And as COVID progressed and, you know, things started moving back up, I realized that um, I loved the inpatient work, but the outpatient work wasn't quite what I wanted um, or what I envisioned myself doing. Um, so I just one day decided like, well, if this job isn't what I want it to be, I'm going to make it be what I want it to be. Um, and so I came up with this idea of, you know, I love swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I wanted to see more of that in my outpatient clinic here at um, the hospital, and so just pitch this idea to my boss one day of like, hey, like um, we see a lot of dysphagia in our hospital. Um, we live I'm in a, a small part of Memphis, Tennessee, like a, a smaller subdivision, not subdivision, but like smaller community um, that tends to have a lot more elderly individuals. Um, as we know, swallowing problems increase as you get older. And I wanted to market to them. I want to be able to treat them. And I was worried that these patients weren't necessarily getting help for their phasia. So yeah, I approached him one day and was like, hey, I think there's a really good opportunity for us to help our community, like the people that are right around us. And so he, you know, luckily saw some, something in my idea and like helped me move forward with it. Amazing. All right. I love it. Um, so really, the whole idea was, you know, I know that every, you know, if you're a therapist, especially if you're an adult therapist, you're typically working with swallowing. Um, so it wasn't that we were introducing swallowing for the very first time to our clinic. We were already doing it, but we weren't strategically marketing ourselves or we aren't strategically marketing ourselves to the community or to the patient population. Um, I recently went to a, a talk at the Dysphagia Research Society, um, like Institute for Education, and they were talking about different parts of healthcare disparity. And one of it was just lack of education about on the patient's part about swallowing and swallowing disorders. They just didn't have that information. And then when they did go to like a primary care physician or a GI doctor, those patients weren't getting referred to us, to swallowing experts. They were instead just you know, getting help through their GI and PCP and then, you know, sent on their way. Um, so I crafted this proposal that I recently presented to our, my boss's boss, who ended up being the chief financial officer was just like, here are some steps that we can take within our community outside of just spending money on, you know, fees, equipment, and all of this other like stuff that, but I wanted to say like, or wanted to, to propose to her, like, here's some things that we can do that are quick wins to expand our reach within our community. Um, and so it was one of them was being um, just showing up and introducing myself to the doctors. Um, I think a lot of times I was when I first started here, I was getting confused as a physical therapist every time I walked through the hall. And, but I, so I was like, well, the only way they're going to stop calling me a PT is if I actually introduce myself and tell them what I like, what I do. It's actually funny. Now we have some PTs who are constantly getting stopped in the hospital and be like, are you speech? Yes. <laughs> Which is <Yeah>. completely different.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I'll take My that favorite as a win. Is it's, oh, you're the speech PT. It's like, well, sort of. Yeah. Sorta, yeah.
2: So yeah, just introducing myself to the doctors and then it then spiraled from there of like who we were, I was noticing that people would get PT and OT orders, but they weren't getting speech despite our recommendations being in the notes. So I started saddling up next to our case managers and was like, Hey, what do I need to do to make sure that these patients that you're getting the information for these patients? And a couple of the case managers were like, Oh, we don't even think about speech.
1: Yes. Yes. I, that, this is, that is something that I preach to the choir about all the times I've worked in so many skilled nursing facilities that I've said that to, you know, the discharge planner, like, do you guys ask these guys about swallowing disorders or, well, and they're like, no, I didn't even think, is that something you do? And it's like, God, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So thank you for, for mentioning that. Cause I think it's a huge thing that we
2: miss. Yeah. Mm Yeah. Yeah. And so they've been really great. Um, I also just started showing up uninvited to ICU rounds um, with patients who were intubated for a long time. I was like, well, I mean, what are they going to do? Tell me to go away. Like, and normally PT and OT would go, but, you know, COVID hit and they got busy. So I was like, well, like these patients are intubated. Why don't I just show up? Um And so luckily was able to get a lot of support through the doctors and the nursing staff. They finally now like recognize like, oh, someone's been intubated for 10 days, we should probably consult speech, um, as opposed to just putting them on a, a diet right away. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I also started reaching out to ENTs and local neurologists and doctors in the area. I was like, Hey, I don't know if you know this, but at, here at Methodist South, we do swallowing and we work on these disorders and we help with these things. And I noticed almost right away, I got in with, um, a local o- otolaryngologist and she was just like, Oh, perfect. We've got patients in this area. We have a huge waiting list that we can't get to. And so she just started sending them our way. And then another, uh, another really weird avenue um, of help that I found was our own website. Um, so I did some random Googling and was just like dysphagia, dysphagia Memphis, um, dysphagia Whitehaven, which is the part of town that we're in. And suddenly realized that like my hospital wasn't listed on any of it. You know, I couldn't find us. I would scroll and it's just like at no point was Methodist South coming up nor was speech even listed on Methodist South's website. So even when I went to the website, we weren't there. Um, And so during the presentation, it was really great with RCFO because I was just like, here are quick wins that don't cost us any money, but get us... Like get these patients to us, these educate these patients about these disorders. Let's spend a couple hundred dollars and get some flyers printed up and put them in doctor's offices, put them. We've got primary care physicians all around. We've got these specialists that contract in, but then also have their own clinics. Like we need to just um, kind of create that interdisciplinary team that we always talk about, but it seems a lot harder to implement within that acute care setting or even just like as they're transitioning out of acute care into outpatient.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's what's so fascinating, Megan, I think is everything that you're mentioning is like everything that you do to start a private practice. Right. And there's such a need for private practices because a lot of times these hospitals don't are not able to provide the service, whereas you're on the flip side. You are able to provide the service, but the hospital isn't marketing you appropriately. So I think you know, I'm all about people starting their own private practices, but I think start where you are. If you can build up your caseload and you can get the word out that, hi, I'm here. I work in this organization. I'm happy to help you. Um, I, I think that could go a long way.
2: Yes. Um, And so I was incredibly desperate to start pulling in more adult patients because the way our outpatient clinic works is um, we're half pediatric, half adult and also inpatient. So I was spending the majority of my day going from inpatient and then coming across the street and working with pediatric articulation. And then I'd have a stroke patient come in and we working with um, aphasia. And I was just like, this is a lot. Like, And I really enjoy um, adults, but especially enjoy dysphagia. So I was like, the only way that I'm going to be able to do this is to increase this patient population. And despite the fact that there's just a huge need. So even if I don't want to work with dysphagia, these patients need to be seeing someone and and someone at our clinic can be seeing them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. And then just the next part was then we had to get into that awkward money talk of like um, our facility, you know, albeit we do have some great resources when it came to outpatient therapy. All we had was like um, an e-swallow machine that none of the therapists were trained on. Um, We had some exercises and some tongue depressors. And I was like, this is, this is, can be used for dysphagia research or dysphagia um, treatment, but we're a garden hose working on this problem. Where we need to be like a fi- like a fireman's hose, right? Like we need yeah, to be going yeah, at this yeah. full strength after a stroke and a couple of tongue depressors and like effortful swallows aren't going to necessarily get us there or get patient buy-in especially when I see, you know, physical therapists and occupational therapists just outside my rooms with all these weights and these mats and these bands and all the the stuff, and we had nothing. So I brought that up to my CFO. I was like, look, we can do what we're doing, but we need more. So I approached her about um, getting fees for inpatient and outpatient use just to help fat, like speed things up, um, for instrumental, um, assessment. I also talked about, um, you know, brought up ideas of updating our modified equipment. Cause right now we're still working with a DVD player and a fluoro tower. (laughs) And it's, you know, it, it can be done, but it's not like, we need to start moving forward with the times and updating our equipment. And, you know, um, uh, one of our unit coordinators at the hospital is always preaching like, um, a quiet mouth doesn't get fed. Um, so if the hospital administration doesn't know that you're wanting this stuff, then you'll never get it. So I've taken that almost too hard to heart. I, there's no um, such thing.
1: I don't think there's such a thing.
2: Yeah. I know my boss used to joke, he was like, oh, here comes Megan. She's about to spend my money. And I would just like constantly turn around and be like, no, I'm about to update our practice and help our patients.
1: Yeah. 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 And I know it's like you say that. And then yeah, you look around at all the PT and OTs, weights and treadmills and everything in the world. Yeah. Oh yeah. Was there anything else
2: that you, you asked for that you proposed other than fees? So our meeting actually got cut really short. Um I thought we were going to have like an hour, but they only, you know, the CFO, she's got things to do. So um I was only granted 30 minutes. Um, but on my list, I um for future like movement forward, I would love to get like IOP or a tongue meter right to work on that. Bio. A lot of the items I was requesting were geared towards biofeedback, gotcha. so getting the patients to be able to see what they're doing. Um, because I find like when I have patients do effortful swallows, they're like, I don't, am I doing it? I don't don't know what's going on. So like getting equipment. So like, even with the fees, we can use that as an instrumental assessment, but we can also use it as biofeedback to see how everything is closing up. Also looked at getting surface electromyography to also like, you know, we have this Tim's or this e-swallow machine that none of us are trained on, but like we could get trained and then use that with the electromyography and see how things are going, And then I also looked at getting all of our therapists trained in the McNeil dysphagia treatment protocol, um, just to have like more specialized treatment in dysphagia, especially if we're going to market ourselves as these like dysphagia experts, um, getting that specialized training. So like everything, you know, it it doesn't happen overnight. Um, the CFO told me that like, she like a thousand percent agreed with my proposal, like she really saw that there was a huge need and that we needed to get this equipment. Um, but you know, you got to go through the red tape of the, uh, capital funding, you know, when year starts over and whether or not they can, af- you know, afford to pay for the equipment or whatnot. But you know, even after the, the meeting, I wasn't disheartened because it was a couple of things that happened that I felt like were really great moves is number one, the CFO now knew me by name. Um, Yay. and knew, yeah, she, and, but she knew about swallowing. Um, and she's, you know, she's a, she's a numbers person and she even said that, um, but through the presentation, I was able to show her a need, but more so than that, just how we're going to help the patients in this community. And the beautiful part about like, you know, we're at, I'm at Methodist South, which is a much smaller hospital compared to um, Methodist university, which is like the big research hospital. Um, so we are much more community based. Like we, we have a lot of um, patients who come in multiple times. So we're on like a name basis. We have much more of a connection, I feel like, with our community. And it's not that university doesn't want to. It's just that, you know, with so many people coming in and 600 beds, it's really hard, but we're like 130. So we are very much a smaller hospital. So I think our CFO was really excited about this idea of we can really give back to this community and help them, but also decrease their readmission rates by getting them that swallow therapy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: One thing, one thing I love that you said, Megan, is As I always try to tell people, like, you have to speak their specific language. And what I find so fascinating is that I find that people are either numbers people or they are patient outcomes people. And if you talk about the opposite thing, then they want to hear, you're not going to get anywhere. And, and so it's interesting you said that your CFO is sort of a, a both, you know, wants to hear the numbers, but also wants to hear the patient outcomes. But I think sometimes we we just go all in on one thing and we don't find out what it is that makes them tick. You know, what is it that that turns the needle for them. So
2: exactly. And that was um a lot of work with my I worked uh side by side with my director of rehab and after I proposed the idea, he did he kind of warned me. And it's like we've got to, he's like, um I know you're a research geek and I know that you're really passionate about this, but we've got to frame it in a way that makes sense to people who aren't familiar in this area. It's like was kind of a little disheartening because it's like, you know, you're so passionate about wanting to help people and then it's like to boil it down to numbers feels a little like Inauthentic, but you know, it's just the way that unfortunately, especially in with COVID and all the, the struggles hospital systems are going through right now, if it doesn't make money for the hospital, it's it's probably not gonna get a second look. Um, and so that was um, you know, he helped me and even the CFO was like that he helped me get my presentation to where it needed to be. And so the CFO even complimented us and was like, this is exactly what we need, especially if we're gonna move forward. And then she gave us, you know, homework to go and like find out more numbers. Um, so that's been a little bit more on the challenging side because I, you know, I'm not into the logistics and the, the, the numbers. And it's been kind of an interesting foray into it, at least. Yeah. Yeah. No,
1: I, I mean, I love it. I think this is something that speech pathologists just need to really embrace. Like if you're not a numbers person, sorry. Like <laughs> it's, it, it's what we have to do to, you know, I mean, to get the tools we need. I remember even when I was starting my business years ago, I said to my husband, well, I want to start this business. And he's like, okay, well, what numbers are on your business plan? And I was like... I don't, I don't know i don't need yeah. any of that i just want to help patients you know but but it's yeah. true i mean it's, it's go it'll be yeah fine. and and just really i've leaned into that over the years because if you don't have a profitable and sustainable business then you're not helping anybody you know and that's how these hospitals really have to think about too you know if they're not making money they're losing money and then they're not helping anybody so um i know it's not something that we're taught or something that we want to think about but for long-term sustainability of our career or profession, we we have to sort of lean into that a tiny bit.
2: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so hopefully, you know, as, as time goes, we're going to, I just got to get back to the, the CFO with the numbers, but the good news is with that meeting. Um, and I think it's helpful instead of coming, as uh, so I let me say it this way. I specifically structured my presentation a little sneakily. Um, and I don't know if she realized this, but I'll happily admit it now. Um, so I started out with quick wins and like free stuff. Like here are some things that I've thought about that really increase our, our patient population without spending a ton of money. And then I kind of like, well, now that we're like, we're working, you're, you're excited about it. You're in with me. Now let me talk about the money. and talk about the thousands of dollars you may need to pay for this equipment. And I think, you know, just being strategic about your asks and when you ask them. And I especially wanted to get my proposal in before January because that's, you know, when capital requests are in. So, like, if I asked after January, it was going to be like, well, maybe next year. Whereas when I asked in October, it's like, oh, we're starting to put everything together. Maybe we can see. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I don't think that was sneaky at all, Megan. I think strategic is the word. I, I mean, cause honestly, like if there's people in my company that come to me and say, you know, Hey, we need to get this software. It's so many you know, dollars. And it's like, well, what is there anything on a smaller scale we can do? Or is there anything that's a free trial we can try for now? So I don't think that's sneaky at all. It just shows that you thought of these, you considered all these options. These are free options we can do. These are low cost options we can do. These are the big guns that we really do need at some point. But, um, I think that's strategic. Don't don't sell yourself short by saying it's sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: But yeah, I'm I'm you know, I'm hopeful and I know it might be naively optimistic and we may not get it this year, but you know, at least it's on the radar. And that was my whole plan was, you know, the earlier I bring it up, the earlier the possibility of happening comes. Yep. Yep. Awesome. I, I
1: know I've heard so many stories of it. it took two years to get fees or it took three years to get fees, but you know what?
2: They got fees. So yeah. <laughs> well, actually, and so this may be another thing I bring up, so this is a very strange coincidence, but we have like an ambuscope here at the hospital that respiratory therapists use to do Bronx, and come to find out, our ambuscope also has the ability to get different disposable cameras that attach to them that record at the frame rate we need and then are used, they're like rhino laryngoscopy scopes. So they may not necessarily be the best scope for fees, but we've got that intermediate project of like, hey, if you don't wanna spend a lot of money, at least get me these disposable scopes I'll get trained. We'll learn how to use it. And then we'll see if, you know, if it starts bringing in enough money, if it now it warrants the purchase of a full scope that's just for us. Yep, yeah. yeah. So we'll see if that happens. I don't yeah. know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so many just I think I've just really worked on this year is trying to be creative because resources are so slim right? We don't have a lot of staffing, you know, especially with, when it comes to instrumentals at our hospital, we have a C, um, a fluoro tower that certain patients can't fit through, or we've got patients that can't leave the ICU because nursing staffing's low. So I've really f- tried to work my best with the doctors and with all of our staff to be like, what is it that we can do to get the, these patients' needs met? However wild or, you know, cobbled together it is, as long as it, it works, then it works.
1: Yep. Yep. Awesome. I love it. I love all of this, I Megan. I yeah. I I don't know why you know we have to be this way, but we do. You know, I I don't know why we have to ask harder than other professions, but we just do. And yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: It's it's frustrating, but I'm glad yeah. I'm not the only no, one. No, 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 no.
1: I I know so many people are going to listen to this and be like, yes, gosh, so annoying, but it is. But you know, you you don't ask for you know, if you don't ask for it, you don't
2: get it. So, yeah, exactly. So really just next steps are waiting to get the fees. Um, I've actually, um, so I know you, um, were asking about the research article, you know, the aha research article, and I um, shared kind of a unique one that I don't think a lot of speech therapists may have run.
1: I did not see this. You stumped me on this one. So thank you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so it's, it's tied to dysphagia, but also, um, So I'm trying to tackle this whole, you know, patients getting discharged from the hospital and not getting services. I'm trying to tackle it from both ends while they're in the hospital and once they get discharged. And what I was finding is... um, it was, we had once had someone readmitted to our hospital from another hospital and they had uh, looked in the electronical medical record and they had had a modified, they were recommended to be on nectar thick liquids and they were back in the hospital for aspiration pneumonia. And I brought up the results of their MBS and he was like, I mean, yeah, like I knew I was supposed to be on liquids, but I didn't know where to get it. I didn't know what to do with it. So I just didn't. And I don't think it was at any fault of the other therapist. I don't want anyone to think that, but I just think it was an education. Like it made me take a step back and look, look at like, how are we as speech pathologists educating our patients in a manner that's meaningful to them? And may make sense to us all day long, but if they don't, if they can't leave the hospital and know how to get thickener or what to do with it, work. We're going to see them in 30 days or 60 days or however long, or they're going to be admitted somewhere else or, you know, something worse may happen. Um, So I started looking at teaching strategies. And so I found this article and it's great because it kind of gives us some other ideas of the way that others are providing education to their patients. Obviously it has its flaws. It's not hundred percent applicable to us as speech therapists, especially me as an inpatient therapist. Um, I'm obviously not going to be using um, computer technology with my, or like video games with my patients and inpatient, but it just, it started the wheels turning on how are other therapists providing education and what are speech therapists doing that works? Um, so me and uh, Lydia Perkins over at university, we are working together to do a systematic review of the research looking at patient education for inpatient, inpatient education and how what is working when it comes to short-term knowledge, long-term knowledge, and retention of material. Just trying to get that idea of like what are inpatient th- people doing. And how are they trying to get to their patients? Um, And hopefully that's, you know, leads to, I have a couple other studies tied to that that I'd like to do, but it just kind of like made me excited to improve my practice. Um, You know, I'm, I'm a brand new therapist, but these are, I think the, I'm running into a lot of issues of these are areas that we weren't necessarily taught in school and for good reason, right? Like it changes with everything. Um, but these are the hard realities of our practice. Is we can know something all day long, but if we're not able to get it to the patient, then our we're not doing. Our due diligence to help them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Um, tell people what the, what the article title is. Oh, yes.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, so my article that I submitted was effective teaching strategies and methods of delivery for patient education. And it's a systematic review and practical guidelines represent, uh, recommendations. And it's Freedman et al. 2011. So I would just recommend just even though, like I said, it doesn't necessarily pertain a thousand percent to dysphagia or maybe even inpatient, but it just gets kind of the balls rolling or the wheels turning on like, how can we approach this from a different angle? Because what we're doing is reaching some, but it's not reaching everyone. And so maybe it's a multi um, modal approach. Maybe we're providing links to videos or handouts or, you know, doing patient teach back or just whatever, like it could be fluid, but it, we need to kind of adapt a little bit, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's honestly like the reason that I wrote wrote my book because I just, there's so much that patients don't know. There's so much that other professions don't know about our field, let alone patients, you know, and we just throw so much foreign information at them and just, you know, then tell them to go home and do whatever with it. So, you know, I really wanted to Have a place that I could just explain to patients why we do what we do, what their options are, because I think that's something that's missing as well. You know, and like you said, you had to, I don't like to use the word fight, but you have to advocate for, you know, tools you need. But if say, you know, a hospital across town has different tools that a patient might be interested in, you know, I just, I want patients to know more about what we offer so that they're able to go find what might work best for them. So. I didn't mean to take over your quote by any means, but no, I was no, like, oh, and that's I, the reason I wrote this book. <laughs> <So>. Exactly.
2: <laughs> but yeah. And if we can get, you know, patients like just educated from every aspect and, you know, or even I'm sure your book is so helpful for caregivers to understand what's going on for the first time. Yep. Awesome.
1: Well, thank you so much, Megan.
2: This has been wonderful. Yeah.
1: Do you have any, any final thoughts for the people?
2: No, I think just my, well, I guess my, uh, lifelong advice is just that, or I, right before I defended my PhD, um, I found this beautiful print and it said, progress is never linear. Um, and I immediately ordered it like that morning and it's, it's come in and it's in my office now. And I think that is such a beautiful representation of my, my academic career, but also I think the way that I think speech therapists have to be a little bit is that we need to be able to be fluid and kind of adaptable and think outside the box and get creative to help our patients. Um, so, you know, I would just encourage any therapist who's like running into that whole, that wall of like, you know, maybe admin won't budge and they're not able to get you a fees machine or, you know, whatnot. Just, I argue, ask the doctors, ask the nurses, just work with everyone and try and see if you can find a, a, a separate solution. It may not necessarily be the one that's relatively straightforward and don't give up. There's, there's hopefully something out there for you guys. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Megan. You're welcome. What, what does the future
1: hold for you? Or are you going to continue working in the hospital or are you going to try to enter academia?
2: Yeah. So I'm actually doing both. Um I think I'm still too passionate about, um, being a speech pathologist to give it up quite yet. Um, but I'm going to start adjuncting in the spring. Um, I'm going to be teaching the first iteration of Intro to Communication Sciences and Disorders for our undergraduate, for our, an undergraduate population, or <laughs> for the undergraduates. Um, so it's really interesting because I think I'm very, very excited to like show our field off to some people who maybe don't know about it Um, you know just providing that education just in another realm of like here's what speech therapists do here's how you can work as a speech therapist or here's how you can help people yeah yeah
1: I just I, I love the way you presented all that information I think you just have so much to contribute back to our profession and to future students so I hope you I hope you get into teaching and you love it so much and yeah
2: so <laughs> thank you yeah yeah all right well thank you Home.
0: to download the show notes from this episode please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com
1: there you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode if you like what you hear then please subscribe leave a review on itunes and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills, and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening, and see you next week.